when uh, when I arrive here, <clears throat> excuse me, in the mornings to do a sound check, uh, it's a, it's amazing. First of all, how many people there are that are here, but also how nice they are to me. I mean, it's it's really you know everyone's so friendly and they just want to help and it, they're so cooperative. And it reminds me of of when I was a little boy. I used to spend my summers in a, a little town called Whitley City, Kentucky, and I'd stay with my grandmother. My my mom was working on her various college degrees, masters, doctorate, and all those things. And so I'd go spend time with my grandmother in the summers. And you know, I get here in the mornings. Everyone's talking. There's it's just these gentle voices and things. And it reminds me, like I said, when I was a little boy, my grandmother she used to talk about we we were going to have fried chicken for dinner. And uh, what she would do is she would go out, and I noticed her voice would change as she would approach the chickens, and all quiet and soft and gentle, and just be real nice and feed them and everything like that. And then she'd reach in and grab one and wring its neck. So you know, I get here and everyone's talking so gentle and everything like that. So I'm waiting for someone to grab me and wring my neck here pretty soon because people are so nice. Uh, you need to know uh, that everyone is uh, doing good work at this place, and they're doing it in a way that complements Christ. And uh, so you should be thrilled by that. And uh, let's praise the Lord for them. Also, also Brian is in in charge. He's the leader. And, uh, you know, the only difference between leading this group and Veritas is we're bigger. That's that's the only difference, right? And leadership is leadership. And so uh, Jeff and Chris have left things in capable hands with Brian. So what a great thing to be able to do. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The neighborhood that I grew up in, it wasn't really like a a suburb. It was more like just a gathering of houses. There were several main families that made up the the area, and we would get together and play softball games in one of the yards. And uh, inevitably, whenever, you know, back then, they would pick sides. And it wasn't, you know, someone's mom there helping us pick sides. It wasn't some dad there saying, you ought to do this. It was just a collection of kids together, and uh, we would pick sides. You'd have two captains, and they'd pick, and they'd pick. And I can remember, you know, very vividly being left out. And then finally someone would say, oh, he can be second base. Not play second base, but be second base. You know, stand there, and you'd be our second baseman picking up sides and, and being measured and being looked at. And, you know, that's a, a, a tough position to be in because inevitably what happens is someone's feelings are hurt. Now, um, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of a deal. I understand that. But one of the nice things about being a part of the body of Christ is that when you decide that you want to serve in his body, when you want to serve in his church, it's not like choosing up sides. Instead, what it is, is you are part of something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul uses the analogy of the body. You're a part of a body, according to what Paul talks about. And so when Paul talks about the body, he's talking about you and me. He's talking about us, but he's using that analogy of the body. You see, what happens is we come to the place in our life where we understand that we are sinners and we need to be saved. Salvation only comes through Christ who died for us on the cross. And so we believe and trust in that gift that he gives us uh, of salvation. And as a result, we are immediately a part of a body. And in that body, we find out that we have a function, a purpose, a place. 
So in essence, what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is he's saying, don't worry about not being included in the ministry or in the work. You're in. And once you're in, keep these things in mind so that you'll keep on doing it. So that if things pop up, hindrances, roadblocks, whatever, you'll be able to press on and move forward. So this morning, what I would like for us to do is look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, and see three reminders to help us better serve the body of Christ. Better serve. Now remember, the book of uh, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians is a book of correction. There are problems in the church at Corinth, and so Paul is writing to correct them. In 2 Corinthians, it is a book of comfort. Paul is writing to comfort the people after he kind of took them to task pretty good in 1 Corinthians, but to get them through and to encourage them. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is addressing an issue in that church that helps us. I'm not privy to any problems. That's not what my point is. My point is what is being told to them is very much for us because it reminds us that as we serve, these things are true. Look at verses 20 and 21, and you see the first reminder. The first reminder is that every believer is useful. Every believer is useful. In 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 20, it says this, As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every member is useful. Paul talks about those who possess greater gifts, and he talks about those who then look down upon the less gifted. He uses the analogy in verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Everyone is useful, none more than another. The only difference is, and we'll get to this later, is where you are, where you're seen, and how you are uh, kind of uh, looked upon. But this verse, uh, 21 and 22, I'm sorry, 20 and 21, is an affirmation of diversity. There is value for each of us. And Paul is reminding us that no matter where we are, we're in this body, no matter what we do, what our gift is, you are important, you are useful. You can't say to someone, I don't need you, if they are in Christ. Uh, there is a usefulness that each person brings. Theologian William Barclay says this. He says, whenever we begin to think about our own importance in the church, the possibility of really Christian work is gone. We have just uh, observed that in the world, right? Right? We have seen a, a fellow by the name of LeBron James who vaulted his importance above all others. And really, it, it has turned into a public relations debacle for uh, LeBron James. Uh, Cleveland is hoping that the Miami Heat play them close to Halloween so that they can have their fans dress in LeBron James' jersey with knives sticking out the back so that they can uh, portray that. But you see, he thinks he's more important than others. And sometimes in the church, as individuals begin to work and serve, they have this sense of, I don't need you. I'm doing fine on my own. But the Apostle Paul reminds us. He says, no. He says, every believer is useful. Every member is useful. Verse 22, he writes this. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable. Uh, he's talking about weaker. He's talking about the delicate parts. You know, in the body, there are parts that are delicate. And sometimes we think because they're delicate, they may not be important. There are believers in the church that are delicate. They seem to be weaker, but Paul says they are indispensable. 
he is reminding us that there is no redundancy. It's all necessity. Every person is useful as they fit into and are a part of the body of Christ. There is no member in the church that is not a part of something. It's interesting in verse 22, he, he says, seem to be, seem to be weaker. To whom? Who's he talking about? Well, it's usually the world, isn't it? It's usually the world or someone that's outside the ebb of the church that looks in and says, you know, there are people in that church that I, I wouldn't want to be around. There are people a part of that that I don't want to be a part of. And that's the, the world's view of things. Remember, D- David, before he was uh, anointed to be king, uh, Samuel went through that whole process. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, the Lord said to Samuel, you know, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And you see what happens is in terms of describing usefulness, sometimes people look out at people in the church and say, oh, he would be more useful. Look at him. Look at her. They would be more useful. Paul is saying everyone is necessary. There is no redundancy or anyone that is unnecessary. He, he's using this analogy of the body. In, in, in our body, for example, you know, we have things like kidneys and livers. We keep those covered. They're hidden. You don't see those. But that doesn't mean they are less important doesn't mean that just because they might be delicate that they are less important. They are not merely as impressive. You know, you look into someone's eyes or you see their strong arms or you, you notice those kinds of things. Uh, try living without your liver or your kidney. You know, try saying, oh, I've got strong arms, I'll just live with that. In the first service we talked about Franklin Delano Roosevelt who was struck down with polio and had, he lost the use of his legs completely. And his arms and shoulders picked up the, the, the lack. But there, are, there are, is an understanding here that there is an indispensableness to each member of the body. So as you evaluate and consider where do I fit, what do I do, remember you are useful. You are useful, every member. I, I attended a church, and there was a lady. Her name was Doris. And Doris's claim to fame, she was uh, probably well, about 83 or 84 years old. And uh, she drove a giant car. I'm not a car person, so I couldn't tell you what kind of car. It was just big. I, I know cars by blue, green, and white. I don't know them by make or model. But this one was big. And she would always drive it up, and she would park, and she would come in, and she would sit in church. And her claim to fame was she used to, uh, it was a small town, small church, and she used to do the hair in the funeral homes so that if anyone died, she'd get the call saying, I'm going to fix their hair. I can remember one time talking to her and saying, you know, what, what's that like to do hair for people that are dead? And she said, well, n- they never complain. She said that. Uh, but the, the whole idea of her, it, the point that I'm trying to make is, here she was, 84 years old, and she came to every single service. And I'm talking 20 years ago when there used to be multiple services. Do you remember that? Any of you remember when there used to be Sunday school, church, Sunday night and Wednesday night service, four service. She came to every single service. And the only thing she did was look good. That's it. Her hair was always perfectly coiffed. She looked great. She was friendly. She was nice. But she would drive in, park her boat, come in and sit down. That was all she ever did. She didn't serve in any other capacity in the church. And I'll never forget one day, a young family, a young woman in a family, stopped me and said, you know what? You know what I love about Doris is that she's here all the time and it makes me remind myself that if she can make it at 84 years old, I can make it. You see, everyone is useful. Everyone has a part. Everyone has a a piece to play in what we uh, call life. 
in service for Christ. Everyone is important. There is no superfluous. There is no redundancy. There is only necessity. And each one of you fall into that category this morning if you have trusted Christ as your Savior and a part of His body. The verse 23, it says this. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 23, he says, And the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. Verse 23, he's talking about balance in the body. It's established through our attire, right? Uh, you know, the way we dress, we try to hide certain parts of our body. You know, I, I will never wear a midriff. I'm not going to wear that, right? Nobody wants to see my stomach. I'm not a big sandal person because I've got a toe that is so ugly, it would like scare you. So I, I wear shoes when I'm in public. In the house, I don't need to worry about it because my family has seen it so often, they're not afraid. But those are the parts that I cover. And that happens. There are parts that we cover in the church. There are believers that, that, that get special attention and, and are pushed in, put in uh, places of service and, and they are doing their thing and they are, are in where they belong to be. But the, the point that Paul's making is there is a balance here. We draw attention away from uh, those that are innately attractive. Uh, we also try to make the presentable parts more presentable. You know, wearing a, a, a jacket, wearing a hat, whatever it is, we do that in our own body. And in the church, we find ways to take those that may seem different or may seem where they don't fit in some places, we find a place for them because every part is useful. When we talk about the body of Christ, everyone is useful. The second thing that Paul teaches us is, begins in verse 24. Not only is um, every believer useful, uh, we are dependent on one another. We are dependent on one another. Look at verse 24. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Uh, presentable parts, the good-looking no aid is needed for some parts. Paul makes that statement clear. But then he says this. Before we begin to think, uh-oh, maybe Paul isn't saying we're all useful, he makes the statement, he says, but God. Now, I, I, I think that sometimes what happens is we overstate or understate things. So I, I, I want to be very careful here. But what happens in the Greek language is the word but, there are two ways to write it. One is de, the other is Allah. Debt is usually used as just a, a, a normal transition, but God. When we use Allah, it's like an exclamation. It's like, but God. And so Paul uses Allah, which is this, this second intense transition. So he, while he makes the statement, you know, there are some presentable parts, we're okay. But then he makes it like he, he says to them, but God, to remind us that God is involved in something much greater here. And what he says here is that God is involved in in. in the design. He is the one that is bringing it all together, the making it all happen. Paul does such a wonderful job of keeping us balanced in our perspective, doesn't he? There are things that we do as believers and who we are, we, we, we take that. But then there are other things that God has done and we need to be reminded of that. And Paul says, this is one of those things. God has designed this thing called the body, this thing called the church. And notice what he does. In verse 24, he says that uh, he has combined. He has combined. Now, just the other day, I went to Lowe's to buy uh, stain for my deck. And I picked out russet. It's, it's a brown. 
And so I get the white stuff, and I take it to the guy at Lowe's, and he puts it on the thing, and he types in these numbers. And then what do I see? I see orange, red, and yellow paint going into this white paint. I wanted brown. Well, then the magic of chemistry, right? He takes that out, puts the lid on, sticks it in that thing, and shakes it. And then he brings it out, pops the lid, dabs it, and sticks it on top. And what does he have? He has a brown. Because what has he done? He has mixed those colors together, and that makes brown. And what Paul is saying here is Paul is saying that God has mixed us together to make this body. You, you see, we, we, again, not to understate or overstate, but you are here this morning for a reason. There's no mistake. There's no happenstance. You may think that, and that's okay. You can think that. But when God sees it, he knows that he has designed this place and these individuals to be in this place because we need each other. We need each other. We're dependent on one another. We are here for a purpose for each other. Paul is trying to create this idea of interdependence, a need for each other. You see, once we understand interdependence, then we never say, I don't need you. The eye doesn't look at the hand and say, I don't need you. You don't look at the foot and say, I don't need you. It doesn't happen. Instead, you understand we've been mixed together by God and we are all independent, interdependent upon each other. I, I enjoy reading. And one of the books that I uh, have read this summer is uh, Roland Lazenby's book about Jerry West. It's called uh, the, the, the Life and Legend of a Basketball Icon. Uh, Jerry West played at the University of West Virginia. Then he played for the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, those of you that are m much younger probably know him best as the guy that uh, put together the teams that we call Showtime, the L.A. Lakers with Magic John Johnson things. But he was a basketball player. And uh, in 1969 and 70, his Laker team played in the championship against the New York Knicks. And his Laker team had Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain was seven foot two. And uh, the Knicks had a guy, his name was Willis Reed, and Willis Reed was a big muscle guy. Who would, he would beat people up if he needed to, and he would muscle Wilt Chamberlain out of position. Well, what happened was Willis Reed hurt his knee. Willis Reed's in the Hall of Fame, well, by the way, just to show you how good he was. He hurt his knee, and in game five of the playoffs, here were the Lakers going to play against the Knicks without Willis Reed, their Hall of Fame center. And everyone wrote him off. The Knicks off completely said, they're going to lose. They lost their best guy. There's nothing they can do. But then what happens is guys by the name of Nate Bowman, Dave Stallworth, Cassie Russell, Bill Hoskett, who are those guys? They're the guys that are on the bench, that practice every day, that work hard, finally get their chance. They get into the game. They force 30 turnovers, and the New York Knicks beat the Lakers. It was David and Goliath all over again. The point I'm trying to make is, you never know when we're going to need you. You never know when your, your number is going to be called and you'll have to step up and play and to be ready. See, that's what uh, Paul is trying to say. We are all interdependent upon each other. Do we have Hall of Famers? Absolutely, there are Hall of Famers in here. But the Hall of Famers sometimes need the help of the supporting cast to come in and say, we're going to do what we need to do to make it so that this thing goes right. The church, the body of Christ interdependent upon each other. Uh, please notice the final reminder that Paul gives us beginning in verse 25. In verse 25 he says, So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. 
If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. United, not divided. That's a third reminder. Paul says we are united, we are not divided. You see, diversity is great. But when diversity becomes dissension because I want my piece of the pie, then we've, we've forgotten it. You see, diversity, there's nothing wrong with diversity until the voice of the one outweighs the voice of the many. And you forget about the fact that we're all in this together. We are not to be divided. We are to be united. Paul wants to remind us of that. You see, God's plan is unity. Unfortunately, we are men. We're incarcerated in the flesh. We make mistakes. We fail. And so sometimes unity is not always what happens. I was talking about a church earlier uh, with this lady, Doris. That church was a split off of another church. That happens in this world. But you see, in God's plan, he wants us all to be united, but it doesn't always work out that way. But you see, the reminder here is Paul saying to us, you know what? We are all together. No divisions. We're all one. We are to be united. We're not to be split apart. One of the things we sometimes forget in in picking our fights is that we're going to all be in heaven someday together. You see, if, if we are believers, we're not going to be just together now, but we're going to be in heaven forever. So why don't we try to get along here now? There are two famous preachers, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you've probably heard of, 19th century preacher in England. The other is Joseph Parker. He also preached at the same time. Two great preachers. Joseph Parker, if, if you ever, uh, are, if you like old books, Joseph Parker's, the works of Joseph Parker, the best part of his books are he, he had someone transcribe his prayers before every sermon, and then they would write his sermons out. But his prayers are magnificent. And Spurgeon, he, he's called the Prince of Preachers and all this. And these two guys preached at the same time in, this, in the same uh, period in, in England. The problem, however, was they got a little competitive with each other. You see, Joseph Parker liked to go to the theater and, you know, watch a play and things like that. And Spurgeon said, that was wrong. That's not where you should go and what you should be. Well, Joseph, uh, Charles Spurgeon liked a cigar occasionally to smoke a big cigar and enjoy the cigar. Well, in that day, the newspapers were, were, were very important. And so Spurgeon and Parker, their sermons would appear in the newspaper. And pretty soon, here are these two guys going back and forth at each other in the newspapers about attending the theater, cigar smoking, fighting. And here they are. And people are beginning to think, well, you know, if these two great leaders can't get along, what about the rest of us? You know what is happening with Spurgeon and Parker today? They're in heaven together. They're in heaven together, trying to figure out why did we waste so much time on something so piddling? You see, Paul wants us to understand that unity is important. And sometimes as we see the body and as we function as a body, we have to set aside what we think is most important so someone else can have their chance, so that someone else can be a part. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. It won't be on the screen. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10... Paul writes this about the Corinthians. Remember, I told you the book of Corinthians is a book of corrections. Uh, in verse 1, it says this, I, pe- I appeal to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. 
What I mean is this. One of you say, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. You see, what was happening was the church had divided into all of these little pockets and saying, okay, I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. I'm... And Paul says, I don't want that. I don't want that. He reminded them at the beginning of the verse, we are all brothers in Jesus Christ. I don't know if you remember, you know, we used to meet in uh, Hopewell Junior High. I don't know if any of you were there. And um, we, we, uh, I would fill in sometimes preaching there. And Craig Avon did the music, except he would fill in for Brandon, who used to do it. And one time I had my younger son, and we walk up, and as we're walking up to talk to Craig after the service, Craig had led the music. I, I said to my younger son, I said, he was just little, I said, say to Craig that you like Brandon better. So we walk up, and my young son looks at Craig, and he goes, I like Brandon much better, just like that. And Craig, without even missing a beat, looked at me, and he goes, well, I like Jeff better. <laughs> but that's kind of the pettiness of it, isn't it? Sometimes that happens. You know, I like this, I like that. You know what? We're all in this together. Let's not be divided. Let's be together so that as together we can be one force to be able to do what we, we can do for the sake of Christ. Uh, notice what Paul says. He said, should have equal concern for one another. Equal concern. Now this idea of concern is not some tepid emotion. It's about caring for one another. We should care about one another. We don't look to, to bring down, to drag down. Instead, we are passionately aware of each other and we care for each other. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes a great point here. Uh, I've told you this before, but one of the jobs that I have done in the past and sometimes do is I, I write for uh, a local paper. And so I go and watch a, a sporting event at a high school and then I write the paper. And at the end of the sporting event, I will go and interview the coach of the winning or losing team and then they will give me some quotes and I'll put it in my story. And I can remember after one game in particular, it was so apparent that the offensive line had dominated the game. You know, it was just apparent that it wasn't about the quarterback and the running back being able to do something. It was just obvious that this offensive line dominated the other defensive line, blowing holes big enough for, for even me to walk through. And at the end of the game, I interviewed the coach, and I made that point. And he said to me, he said, our linemen finally cared, or finally, finally cared about what they were doing. And he said they went helmet to helmet and really cared about what they were doing. You see, there was an intensity. There was a, a drive that came as a result of concern for one another. That happens in the church, too. We need to have this sense that together, united, we can accomplish much for the cause of Christ. And there are those that are on the line. There are those that are the quarterbacks and the receivers and the running backs that might gain more notice. But that's okay because we're all united together to accomplish something for Christ. Paul reminds us that when we are serving, that every believer is useful. He reminds us that we are dependent on one another. And he reminds us that it's about unity, not division told you I was reading this book about uh, Jerry West. And uh, Jerry West played in nine NBA championship finals. And only one, uh, only one won. He lost eight. And uh, the one season that he won, he said the thing that made the difference, he thought, uh, in their game was a guy named Pat Riley. Now, Pat Riley later became the coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. But at that time, Pat Riley was a player. And Pat Riley thought that he was better than Jerry West and thought that he should be playing 
more than Jerry West was playing. Instead, he was sitting on the bench. And so Jerry West said that what would happen is that every practice, Pat Riley would guard him like his life depended on it. And Jerry West had to work so hard in practice, he said the games were a piece of cake. Interesting, isn't it? You see, that's the mentality that we need to have. We're all a part of a team, part of a body. We each have our own function, our own place to be, our own thing to do. We need to do it with great vigor and enthusiasm so that service happens for Christ's sake. Let's pray together. Father, you are so good to us. Please allow the scriptures to remain in our minds so that we will have something to take with us throughout the week. Encourage us, Lord, to maybe take a moment to reread the passage and see what it is that Paul is trying to help us as we look to serve and do what we need for your sake. We thank you, Father, for those that have been here today, and we ask that you would encourage their hearts with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a wonderful week.